Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper. And it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm gonna have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can find All it takes is faith. Trust. Well, if it isn't the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pockets, sprinkle that pixie dust around, and think up that happiest thought, because it's time to go to Neverland again, and we are going, I don't know if you've looked at your phone or wherever you're listening on, this is the 300th time. Well, if you, if you don't count, like, special episodes I did back... Maybe first season, like during Star Wars Celebration, I think I had a midweek and I would do like a .5 or whatever. So if you don't count those, then this is the 300th episode of the Neverland Podcast. And I wanted to do something special and I, I racked my brains on a few different things. And I the, the main things I could think of was back when we did episode 100, I spent weeks collecting clips from all 100 episodes. Well, of course, the 100th episode would have audio from that very episode. But I got a collection of clips from the first few seasons. And then because Dark Crystal Age of Resistance has come on Netflix this week, I thought it'd be fun to go and revisit the interview with Mike Quinn where we talked about his work on the Dark Crystal film. Uh, So basically this is a clip show. And I've put it all together. I hope you're going to enjoy it. I didn't really have time to put together anything else for the show because this this is Labor Day weekend and it's also my wife's 40th birthday. So I wanted to have time to spend with her. But I thought, you know what? A great clip show would make a fun 300th episode. And I'm probably going to do the really big episode when we end our sixth season here in just a couple of months. And we'll celebrate six years of Neverland to Disney and beyond. But now, here is a collection of clips. Enjoy. One of the number one things that uh, for people who are my age and even maybe a little older, maybe a little younger, the number one thing we're going to remember is a sound effect that would come on on CBS whenever there was a great holiday special coming up. And it went a little something like this. Okay, so then when you'd hear that, you knew something cool was about to happen. 
Hi, I'm Everett, and I got a little bit of a story to tell that when I was a child, I was really very sickly, and it meant so much to me that my family uh, did show so much concern, and I remember I had uncles and aunts and cousins just coming to my house all the time and bringing me presents and food and cheering me up, and, and I'm just saying it's wonderful to have a family that, that's caring, but it's even more blessed when you have a family that's like the family of God, and uh, that's how I'm, I'm happy to have both. But, uh, one of my favorite memories is uh, whenever I was 11 years old, um, we did this thing called the Christian's Christmas Carol. Yeah, we kind of got bored or with doing was, the nativity the same way every time. So yeah, we tried maybe to I was 12. I'm trying to remember what year. Oh, it was but a long time the, ago. The first time, I and I wrote it. I wrote it all out, and I still teach it once in a while. But uh, it was called the Christian's Christmas Carol. I played Bob Cratchit on the first one, and uh, we had some other fella who was just visiting for a while who played Scrooge. But my favorite memory of that one was that go. Jeremy played Tiny Tim. And I was tall, skinny, weird, wiry kid at the time. I was, you know, I was skeletal. Uh, well, I, what, I, what I cracked me up was I had no idea how you're going to be dressed and it came your turn to come yeah, out. Because it said in the script to come out in pajamas. And what I was wearing for pajamas at the time, because it was cold, was a pair of white long johns. <laughs> he comes walking out and the whole church bursted out in laughter. It was great. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Memorable. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it was pretty much like I came out wearing white tight. All right, so the second movie we saw was Saving Mr. Banks. Uh, but so, yeah, this was this was very good. This It has some moments of a little bit of levity, and it is, it is fun watching some of the details if you've heard in the stories of the making of it like I have. It's fun watching it kind of brought to life, but it's a very good story, and I know you liked it because you cried. Yeah, I, it was very dramatic, especially with um, there towards the end. But uh, So, yeah, James Avery was the junkyard dog on that. But uh, for cartoons, there's a lot of other cartoons that he voiced. But for the one we're all going to remember the most, it's definitely going to have to be this one right here. But you may call me the Shredder. That's right. He was on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as the Shredder. Today, we are as one of many days that we're going to be able to talk about Star Wars. Uh, I say this will be the first of many times because, let's face it, this was a big part of our childhood, uh, if you're my age, or even older than me, it's going to be a big part of your childhood. And even younger than me, this is still a big part of your childhood. So we have to be able to talk about Star Wars anytime that we feel like it. Charles in charge. Mm-hmm. Scott Bayo yeah. from the really awful spinoff from Happy Days, Joni Loves Chachi. Well, he was on Happy Days for a long time. Right, too. he was on Happy Days, but Happy Days was falling apart, I think, to me. When that, when you took Ron Howard out there without Richie, it wasn't the same. When he first showed up, Richie was still there, but yeah, right. it was. Uh, it didn't take long for it to fall apart. And became the Fonzie show, and you know, I loved Henry Winkler and Fonzie. Still do, yeah. But uh, yeah, you can't base the whole show around him. That'd be like turning Family Matters completely into the Urkel show. Oh, that's right, they did, and it tanked. You know, we had a few, and I really loved, loved my ponies, and um, we kind of, we I got into them at the beginning of it. Um, you know, in the really early '80s, um, before later on when they had lots of different varieties of ponies. You know, ponies that had um, fuzzy little um, plush, you know, attached to them, or sprinkles, or. Um, you know, lots of other little different things, little jewels and stuff that they would have attached to them. Uh, some other news that I find to be very interesting. I'm not sure what to, to think of this one. Uh, I'm kind of hoping it does come to fruition. But 
Uh, since Disney does have ownership of all of Lucasfilm now, uh, there are reports that Pixar is looking to make a Star Wars spin-off film. Uh, there was uh, a while back when uh, Pixar story, story supervisor Kelsey Mann had said that he would love to do a Star Wars spin-off centered around Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon. Uh, don't know if that's what we might possibly expect. Uh, but yeah, Pixar, uh, you know, sometimes does original things, sometimes doing not so original. There, you know, there's uh, a lot of sequels that they've done, and uh, most people seem to like it when they do something original. But I'm very excited about the possibilities of having, you know, say John Lasseter and Andrew Staten and maybe even Brad Bird kind of collaborating on creating a Star Wars film. Now, tell me that wasn't fantastically cheesy and fantastically awesome. Uh, I really enjoy listening to that. It, 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 is, it is so off-the-wall fun. I mean, really, the old uh, Masters of the Universe television series that we all watched was pretty goofy and cheesy and crazy with their moral lessons at the end. But we love it anyway. And, boy, I tell you what, these, little, these audio recordings of these books really take the cake and really take me back. I mean, boy, He-Man was just the greatest toy you could have next to Star Wars. I know there is a God, and that he hates injustice and slavery. I see the storm coming. I know his hand is in it. If he has a place, work for me. And I think he has. I believe I'm ready. I am nothing. But truth is everything. It's Thundercats related, so everybody get excited right now. Thunder! 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 Thundercats! Ho! Okay, now if that didn't bring back any memories for you, then you either were too young or you never watched it. Hey, now for all of you that were fans of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, this is kind of a rare bit because uh, I think here in the States, probably most people maybe might be familiar with the movie, then uh, other people will be familiar with the books. But how many of those people also are familiar with the fact that there was a radio show in the UK that all of this came from, that the author of the books actually was doing this radio show? And so here's a little song by the actual voice of Marvin the Paranoid Android. I have no idea who the guy's name is, but it's a little cute song called Marvin, I Love You. Amazon is fed by waterfalls, like right here. This is called Inspiration Bowl. Because people always ask us, well, why is it called Inspiration Bowl? Would you like to know why? Yes, thank you for asking. That's so nice of you. Uh, as you watch this water go gently tumbling over the rocks, it inspires you to go deeper and deeper into the jungle. This is the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the bullwhip crack like this. But the big question I want to ask and have some answers to is who is your favorite Muppet and why? Oh, now, okay. Um, well, I don't know. I have, I have lots of favorites, but... Probably some of the ones that I like the most. I have I have a feeling for for Beaker, um, because he's that science nerdy kind of kind of guy, and he's always kind of the the guinea pig for for Bunsen. 
and um, but I also like the Swedish Chef. From billion-dollar blockbuster films to TV, home entertainment, video games, and consumer products, The Dark Knight continues to resonate with audiences worldwide and rightfully deserves his place as a global pop culture icon for the ages. Batman is the single most successful superhero film franchise in history, and there have been more theatrical movies released based on Batman than any other comic book character. In video games, the Batman Arkham franchise is also the most successful superhero game concept ever. Batman consistently breaks records in every incarnation of his character and remains the gold standard by which all other comic book sales are measured. Uh, I have heard that on some reviews that they're calling this, this is like, instead of a superhero movie, this is more like a spy thriller. But to me, that's really, that's kind of a lot of what Captain America does these days. Uh, it's It was very much like a spy thriller. It was very cool. had a lot of good twists and turns, a lot of different things going on. You know, Actually, a lot of pretty good humor, very good acting uh, by a lot of the characters. Now, I should have probably brought up a list of who all played who on there. Um, the, the man they got to cast as Sam Wilson, also known as the Falcon, he was excellent. They did a very good job of introducing Sam Wilson to you and letting you start to like the character before he even gets his flight suit going, and then you're just excited to see him flying around and helping Cap out. Fly and comfort the normals that have even more fear than you. Or do you, Hulk Hogan, kick the doors out? Kick the cockpit door down? Take the two pilots that have already made the sacrifice so that you can face this challenge. Dispose of them, Hulk Hogan. Assume the controls, Hulk Hogan. Stop that control into a nosedive, Hulk Hogan. Well, I remember uh, being a big fan of Steven Spielberg's films, and still, and I'm still a big fan. Whether it be Close Encounters or Jaws or Indiana Jones, well, I remember on my sixth birthday, uh, I got to make a choice. I could either go see Raiders of the Lost Ark again for like this fifth or sixth time, or we could go see E. Or we could go see E.T. You know, as a family. So I'll never forget it. That was a good day for me. I remember my toy still. I remember getting a Lone Ranger and a silver toy. I remember going to Godfather's Pizza, and I remember going to see E.T., and boy, I just fell in love with the movie. And uh, I remember that Christmas Santa Claus brought me a toy of E.T. that came with a, a little miniature toy of uh, the, the Simon Says Speak and Spell. Oh, and then yeah. I got a whole huge bag of my very own of Reese's Pieces. Okay, so that sound is from a 1918 carousel. Uh, in 1918, uh, former cabinet maker Marcus L. Illions meticulously carved 64 jumping horses and two chariots to create the Illions Supreme Carousel, one of the most famous and reproduced carousels in the world. Known for all their wood horses with high swept manes adorned with jewels, and only five original Supreme models were ever built by Illions. Now installed at Worlds of Fun, the 90 foot carousel is one of only two operating in the world. And it's kind of nice we have it. It's a very big, nice carousel that actually plays music the old-fashioned way and I always love swinging by it and I usually give it a ride every time I come by. Okay, so now we're here with Philip and Seth and we can get their kind of thoughts on the on the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Well, it wasn't necessarily amazing, 
in my opinion. <laughs> uh, it's actually but, what a critic said. Yeah, it, like, this was not amazing. But uh, I, I don't know. There's parts of it I thought were, were okay, and I liked. I really liked his outfit a lot better than this, and any of the other ones that have been made. Uh, but I don't know. It was. Uh, I was a little disappointed in it, but for the most part. I don't know, maybe I'm outgrowing the comic book movies, but I doubt it because I still love Captain America, you know, so. <laughs> Not every company's doing them as well as Disney is right yeah, now. Yeah, well, that's true. That's that's true. And I love Avengers and all that. So, yeah. Uh, in this one, I, I thought the tone of it was back and forth and was kind of undecisive if it was a comedy or if it was serious or whatever. So, at the end of it, I liked it, th- that part of it. But for the most part, I thought it could have been better. But it also could be worse, I guess. <laughs> but getting together with and making new friends is what podcasting's greatest benefit is. And the fact that I've got, you know, 30 to 50,000 people that listen to the show each and every month and that some of these people contact me and some of these people come out to the park and when they come out to the park, they know that on Friday afternoons between 5 and 7, I'm out at Trader Sam's every single week. So they know that they can come over meet me and say hi and they get to meet me but more importantly i get to meet them yeah and there's just so much fun to meet all of these people especially the people who are like longtime listeners who know you better than you know yourself oh yeah uh whenever we were kids uh there was two times uh once a year uh channel five would do monster week where every afternoon they would show a different monster could be Gamera, Godzilla, King Kong, you know, something. Mm. Oh, we look forward to it all year. And during the summer, up at Metro North Theater, they would have their uh, dollar matinees. Yeah. Mom would take us to see that. And a lot of them was Godzilla, Gamera, yeah. uh, the Gargantuas. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I remember we'd always ask Mom, is there a monster in it? Whenever we were going <laughs> to see it. Like uh, Sinbad, Eye of the Tiger, and the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and all them. And, I don't uh, think I saw that. What was it? Mysterious Island, and The Land That Time Forgot, and Journey to the Center of the Earth. Okay, so there it was. Back in 1991, I first saw the six-player stand-up of X-Men. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it played kind of like the, you know, we were already big fans of the Ninja Turtle game. So when yeah. I saw the thing, I was like, it's like the Ninja Turtles, only it's these, these X-Men people that I didn't really know anything about. <laughs> now, I had heard some stuff before because uh, there had been people who talked about uh, Pride of the X-Men, which mm-hmm. I had not at this time. I'll have to share that theme here in a little bit, uh, which I did not see because I didn't know who they were. Uh, but you saw the first run yeah, of that, right? Yes, I did. Uh, it was in the 80s. I remember I was sick on a Sunday morning, and Warner Brothers used to have this uh, Sunday morning show. Where you mean Hanna-Barbera? Had... Did I say Warner Brothers? Yeah, you said oh, Warner I'm Brothers. I'm sorry, Hanna-Barbera. Now, granted, you know, Hanna-Barbera has been bought out by Warner Brothers. Yeah, but, uh, so that's kind of ironic. But it hadn't happened, I don't think, no, at that time. No, at that time. But anyway, there was uh, cartoons where they used to have, like, pawpaw bears and yogi Paw, bear. Pawpaw bears. Yeah. yeah. And then, but anyway, they had, uh, sometimes they show Spider-Man stuff. And on this time, they showed uh, the X-Men cartoon, and I thought it was awesome. Pride of the X-Men. Let's go ahead and play that theme right now. Why not? Well, there's there's two things I wanted to say. First, when you when you first started talking about alien uh, symbiotes, you know, the first uh, thought that I had of was the movie Alien and the and the chest huggers and everything, or the chest bursters and everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm. Um, you know, I was like, well, that's a good uh, one, but no, where you went was better. And I like the fact that you just kind of glassed over um, Spider-Man 3 and didn't really <laughs> go that too much. <laughs> yeah, that was not a good representation of Venom at all. <laughs> 
one had actually like conquered the world before the eugenics it. wars. The eugenics wars, where they'd actually made these race of supermen who are super intelligent and super strong and everything, and but all these great scenes, this interactions between Khan and uh, the nurse. Uh, where she's kind of attracted to him as uh, his, his power, and she's always been into powerful kind of kind of somewhat evil men, you know. And so she's very attracted to Khan, but he's got these great lines too. It's like stay or go, but whatever you do, do what you choose to do, and just just great ridiculous dialogue that they gave him. But uh, you know, it's weird to think that he had one one episode of Star Trek. And then probably still the greatest Star Trek movie that's ever going to be made, although I've, I've loved most of them, but the greatest one is still going to be The Wrath of Khan. I was in the Smurfs, but I played Denisa, who was Gargamel's niece. So uh, Paul, Paul Winchell's niece, her little br- his bratty niece. Paul Winchell was Gargamel? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's not the only time you worked with Paul Winchell because if we hop up ahead to uh, the Gummy Bears. Yes. You had Paul Winchell in there was uh, Zummy Gummy and then you were Sunny Gummy. I played Sunny Gummy. Ta-da! How do I look? (laughs) (laughs) Which was one of my favorite shows when I was younger. I loved the Gummy Bears. Aw, thank you. I appreciate that. You had a lot of great familiar voices because even uh, what is uh, Alonzo Music? I always get the first name wrong. Lorenzo Music. Lorenzo Music. There, Bill Scott, Rocky, mm-hmm. Rocky and Bullwinkle fame. Yeah. Uh, he was Bullwinkle, and June Foray, who played Rocky, was also she played Grammy Gummy. Yes. But I thought we would just have some fun and listen to some different kind of music. Some of it going to be comical. Some of it going to be kind of maybe from a superhero TV show or movie or something like that. Uh, either way, I think we're going to have just a lot of fun. And we may just do this every once in a while just to kind of, uh, you know, sit around and listen to some fun music and have a good time. So without further ado, uh, let's just get going with it. I am currently pulling out of the parking lot from the movie... The movieplex, whatever you want to call it, uh, just came out of Transformers Age of Extinction, the fourth in this franchise. Uh, this is supposed to be the beginning of a new trilogy. They're kind of trying to relaunch things, apparently, uh, with a new cast of humans and uh, some different perspective. Although they have kept in mind everything that has happened in the previous three films. Uh, I gotta say, we love love our country of America because we do have these rights and freedoms, and uh, that's kind of also central to what we feel like in Neverland. We have the right to pursue what makes us happy and what we dream of and we just got to keep going even when when we get knocked down we have that right we have that freedom and we got to take advantage of it Our next one comes again from Marvel, and this is actually very big news. Just recently, Marvel announced that their first Star Wars publication since the Walt Disney Pictures Studio purchased Lucasfilm in 2012. Star Wars, the original Marvel Year's Omnibus, is coming to shelves early next year. Oh yeah, he had he had uh, pictures and, and magazines that had covers and stuff from it. And I think maybe even some... Um, oh, he had toys from it as well. I was thinking... Um, Concept art. Yeah, I think he. Had, I think he had some cells too. Oh, they're. <clears throat> yeah, he had some character sketches of several of the villains. I remember oh. Solomon Grundy and Scarecrow. I think. 
Oh, yeah, there was a couple of different versions of Scarecrow. Is that When he made his first appearance, he was a bit more kind of realistic and very kind of creepy, uh, kind of skinny Scarecrow. And then later on, they uh, gave him this weird big mouth thing, and <laughs> which was still kind of creepy. But it, I, I think they were trying to calm it down because in the first appearance of him, he was so scary and creepy. I bet some of the kids were a little freaked out of Scarecrow. Y'all got anything you want to throw in about Guardians of the Galaxy you thought was cool? Ladies first. Go ahead. I was going to say, I am Groot. I love Groot. Groot was great. Me too. I I loved Groot. Actually, I loved every character in there. I loved Rocket. I I, uh, loved Drax. uh, Truth is, I did not expect to enjoy this film, really. Uh, A couple months ago when I saw the previews, I thought, oh, you know, it looked okay. (laughs) But within the last two or three weeks, it started looking better and better. And I loved it when I not seen it twice already. <laughs> I loved, Obviously, you I was it. very, very uh, impressed with uh, Dave Batista because I'm a WWE nut, and uh, the truth is, is I, I'm not a haven't been a huge fan of his uh, as a wrestler, but I am a huge fan of his uh, in this film. So I wish he was as cool like this in, in the wrestling. <laughs> and Michelangelo, I think, is the character that seems to have changed the most, with yet still keeping the same charm that he's always had, but always. Like they always seem to do a slightly different take yeah. on how they want to voice him. Yeah, yeah, that's always yeah. fun. Yeah, somebody said to me down at Comic Con that it would. It, uh, we were talking, and uh, and he said, uh, he says, so did you have anything to do with with the movie that's coming out in a couple weeks? And I said, no, the Michael Bay one. Um, no, I mean I haven't had anything to do with any anything Ninja Turtles. Other than the series that I did, you know, for those t- 10 seasons. Um, and he said, gosh, I, I don't understand that. I mean, not as one of the voices, but it would have been hilarious, like, to, you know, pull you in, uh, you know, as an ancillary character or, a, <laughs> you know, a, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a waiter in, in a restaurant or, yeah. or something. You know, just as like a little Easter egg. And I thought that would have been hilarious. That would have been fun to do. And this isn't something I have never experienced before because I've never seen Cars Land before. But every night at dusk, they turn, they play the song "Life, Life Could Be a Dream." Shaboom, shaboom. Exactly. Shaboom, shaboom. And then the neon lights come on. They turn on all the neon lights, and it's beautiful. It was, it was so much that it inspired you to dance with some guy named Brian. <laughs> yes. Well, Laura held a contest to see who could do the best performance to the song. <laughs> and a lot of our podcasting friends are couples like Scott and Tracy. Yep, saw them dancing as well. Uh, Sarah and Richard. I don't think they were on the video that I saw. Mm-hmm. They were there. Unfortunately, I had to grab who was ever was nearby, <laughs> and I want to recount. Um, like you'll have the the family of blood or human nature and the family of blood; those two go together. Those were David Tennant ones, where he was human for a bit, um, and those are really good. But originally, it was a children's series that was supposed to teach um, about history. Yep. And they've retweaked it a bit, but. Um, so the monsters, it's never really too scary for children, supposedly. Um, but yeah, some of the newer ones, I think, are a little frightening. Yeah, they're, they're just that, that, they're that frightening visage and the way like the silence would be there and then they weren't there. 
Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, now my daughter, who's 18 years old, is scared of the uh, angel in my grandma's front yard. <laughs> uh, we expected some uh, some characters to make appearances, but uh, I had a list of different characters that I would kind of like to see pop up. Like maybe see Vader do something a little bit, or maybe even the Emperor, perhaps even Grand Moff Tarkin maybe makes an appearance. Well, I'm sure they're going to follow that same Marvel Comics series that we had in the 70s and 80s where Vader wasn't always the villain of the issue but we'd see him rolling in and out every couple of episodes couple of mm -hmm. issues rather and i'm sure we're going to see him uh a couple times a season just maybe giving the inquisitor some direction or him having to take action into his own hands i hope we don't see too much of him because this is not really his story right yeah and i don't want them to overuse him right and i would like to see tarkin i don't want to see the Emperor, just because in Star Wars we never saw the Emperor. That's true. He was in his in his uh, throne room or wherever he was, and just being guarded by himself. Yeah, and I wasn't really. I didn't. I don't really think until Return of the Jedi where he had to come out and talk to Vader one on one that he did. I I think he was very very secluded. There was a man who went a little overboard judge, judging comic books, and some of it is some yeah. people some people did go too far. You had a lot of your your uh, tales of the crypt type things, and they'd go a little too far. But because of that, this man decided that Batman and Robin were uh, a, a way to commercial a different lifestyle. And they, yeah, they, it was a bad influence to have like a young boy who was going and putting himself in danger and always running around with an older man looked creepy and weird. And so they had stuff like that that basically now comic books have become the enemy. Hey, where are all my comic books? Oh, those dreadful things. I gave those away. And there were thousands of comics that were burnt. Yeah. Well, this, this happened later than what I was about to bring up. <laughs> but, well, in the 50s this happened. But, well, but it really also took in in the 60s and made some 60s comics rare as that well. That was later, but th this uh, first happened in the 50s, and then they, they burnt a whole bunch of comics. Yeah. But which is funny, because that, the people who kept their comics, like the Superman and, and Batman and stuff, they're now worth a lot more money yes, because, because of that. Yes, because it's rare. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we had, uh, Walt Disney came back in 1956. He'd been a little busy in 55 opening Disneyland and doing the movie Lady and the Tramp. And so in 1956, we decided to build a public pool here, which was pretty darn progressive for a little town of less than 3,000 in the middle of the 1950s to have a public pool. So they passed the bond and started building the pool. And they go, what are we going to call it? So let's write Walt Disney a letter and see if it would be okay if we named it Walt Disney Swimming Pool and Park. Just hoping he'd say, go ahead. First letter back was he was thrilled. Next letter back was, we going to have a dedication? Well, we sure could. Lakeisha would like to come and Roy would like to come and they'd like to bring their wives. So in 1956, Walt came back to dedicate the swimming pool and park. When Walt Disney came to, he came to dedicate a pool in 56. We still use it today. He came back in 1960 to dedicate our new school. The one he went to was Park School. But of course that was torn down and we built a new Walt Disney School. When he came for that dedication, he gave us that flagpole. That's my husband standing to the right of it and Walt to the left. And that flagpole came from the Squaw Valley Olympics. He Oh, that can you mention something about yes. that? Yeah. He had been chairman of pageantry and sent us the tallest pole, which is still out here in the lawn of our school. 
It's more of a contemporary Fantasia. Yeah, because it is. there's a lot of great music in there. The entire film was based on music like Fantasia was, but yeah. it's more contemporary stories, more contemporary animation than Fantasia was. It's not just classical music, but it's more of what would have been pop in 1948. Yeah. And it's hard to not walk away after watching Janel and Johnny Appleseed singing along some of the tunes on there. I always get, the Lord is good to me, so I will thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun above and my apple seeds, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's a fun little song and lots of good kind of toe-tapping kind of things that kind of get stuck in your head. And boy, if I could find a soundtrack for Melody Time, I'd be happy. Or even fun and fancy free, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. You know, these these are almost like forgotten treasures that are, are not as as nice to you know as people, because it's not a full Cinderella fairy tale and or which those are of course great. We do love those, but these are classic films as well. Frau uh, Blucher. <laughs> exactly. It wasn't until like we we'd seen it together, you know, that I really was able to see the first part of it. Really? Yes, I I oh. caught the end uh, on one evening or Saturday morning or whatever, and it scared me because you got the flying pumpkin coming at you, and I thought, man, this is a scary, you know, a scary one. Yeah. Well, um, so at least I'm not alone. See, in second yeah. grade, we watched it in school and freaked me out. So uh, the hitchhiking ghost came in. And um, which was amazing, and they sang songs to us. They sang Grim Grinning Ghosts. And then Beauregard, our butler, would come in and chase them away. Um, and um, I'm trying to think what else. So we would also have April come in. April was the girl with the trapeze the artist, the ballerina with yeah, the parasol. Yeah, what we learned is that her, her backline story is her family worked in the circus, and they were part of a, a trapeze act that she walked the tightrope. Um, Castlevania 2 on the original NES I thought was fantastic. Uh, it had some, a lot of that one. It had some like light role-playing elements to yeah. it um, where you had to go from town to town and there, it had some fetch quests in it and so that you know, the, the fetch quests go back 25 years, sad to say, but um, it was a pr- pretty good game and then it kind of went in, the, the series went downhill quickly for a while, but then it Hit, it, it peaked back up on the original PlayStation with uh, Symphony of the Night, which was just fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant game. Of course, still, I gotta still. say, I liked Castlevania 3, though. I did like that one. I played the Dickens out of that thing. And that was, I think, one of the first attempts to really kind of almost make a cinematic experience out of a game, because even the opening uh, credit uh, title screen had, like, film strip things going up the side. Uh, and you had like a good long shot of the castle and things like that, and they, it seemed like they really were stepping up to make a cinematic experience that really, when they got to Sin- Symphony of the Night, it's very cinematic with the opening and coming looking at the castle, and the storytelling is done brilliantly, uh, and the graphics were fantastic for the time. Oh, and the music is awesome in that game, too. Well, the, the music in Castlevania pretty much across the board... Um, has always been good, and the game I was talking about was Lords of Shadow. For some reason, that just escaped me, but uh, Castlevania Lords of Shadow, I thought, was really, really good. A boy, every time you mention some of these serials, I'm like, oh, I remember that stuff. It was so good. <laughs> some of them are better remembered than eaten. 
Yeah, like the uh, the monster cereals. Uh, I started eating those like a year ago, and I, um, I, I managed to even found it because they re-released Fruit Brute and, and everything. Yes. And I was just eating it, good, having a good time, and then I had to do an A1C, and my blood sugar was way too high, and I got a good scolding. So <laughs> I looked at buying something this year, and my wife says, no, you aren't. Not again. Not again. <laughs> So there's season 3A was all about Neverland and it was an 11 week run and then they had a hiatus for like three months, three or four months. Well, in 1945, the Macy's Day Parade surpassed two million people in attendance. Wow. So it was growing. Six days after the, well, this is sad, six days after the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade went ahead as scheduled in hopes of raising the national spirit. Now, we actually just had the anniversary of his pa- yes. his, his assassination just this past week, but that's a sad thing. We don't want to talk about it. We're a happy show. Sno- oh, one of my favorite balloons, Snoopy, the Peanuts character created by Charles mm-hmm. Schultz, holds the distinction of having the most Thanksgiving Day Parade yes. New York City parade floats with six different balloons since 1968. Yeah. I always love seeing Snoopy. Snoopy was always the one for me. I even mentioned him in my sermon this morning. I mentioned <laughs> Snoopy, you know, he's even on that movie I mentioned a while ago. Snoopy was the one to me, he's one of my favorites, you know. You gotta love yeah. him. Whether he's Joe Cool, or he's on the Red Baron, or he just yeah. walking around being himself, you gotta love the guy. New lightsaber. I've seen yes. a lot of joking around about the the extra blades, but everybody seems to think it's kind of cool. But also, it's becoming a bit of a joke. I've seen a, pictures where they made it look like a Swiss Army knife, or if George Lucas well, had done this and it had so many different extra blades sticking off. Somebody had kind of, somebody had kind of made a thing. Okay, so the first trilogy we had one blade. Second trilogy, oh, we have two. A dual blade. Third trilogy, now we've got three. Okay, well, this is 100th episode, myself, hearing, you're hearing again. That was everything from season one. Uh, but I just had to let you know that this may just be perfect for you if you are interested in podcasting yourself, okay? You, the, my friends, and they are legends in the industry, Luis and Kamala, have a proven marketing machine designed to help you attract high-profile interview opportunities. And that's not all. Their paid-to-broadcast program puts a monetization process in there that has you creating income the moment you start your podcast channel. And here's the inside scoop from your friend in the note, namely me. They launched their program earlier this year and have been getting amazing results for their clients. Paid to podcast. Paid to Podcast is already considered by their clients to be the number one way to launch and monetize your podcast fast. The price is about to go up to around 15000 which is still only a, a fraction of the true value of this. But get this, they wanted to show gratitude for the success this program has generated for themselves and their clients, and they really want a really exciting way to find and promote some of the best secret hidden talents waiting to be seen and heard in the market today. So they're giving away one of their paid-to-broadcast programs away, totally complimentary. So that means that you could win a fully sponsored place for the paid-to-broadcast program, which is currently worth $10,000. But, of course, this will be absolutely no cost to you. So if you've chosen for a scholarship, if you're chosen for this scholarship, you'll get plugged into their marketing machine that positions you and has you attracting the best interviews for your podcast channel, and you don't need to have one either. They'll help you create your own niche, and all through the program, they'll be with you. 
And so, yes, this could be you. However, you have to be in it to win it. Now, it's super easy to win. I'm going to put a link in the podcast notes that you're seeing. Uh, If you go to NeverlandPodcast.com and find the show notes for this episode, I'm going to be putting this link in the next few episodes. And you can find out about all the criteria and let them know why you would love to win. And that's it. So, since uh, they've been telling me about this, I thought of all of you consider that you might be considering getting into podcasting, so I wanted to tell you all straight away, right here in my 100th episode. And considering, you know, that you might be considering podcasting yourself, this could be the perfect vehicle for you to take your public profile and uh, and your business to the next level. Because some people, they, they podcast as a business. Are you maybe thinking of you have a business of some sort and you want to attach a podcast to it? This is a really good time to be able to step in. Uh, so once again, now remember, go to neverlandpodcast.com or look in the show notes here for this episode. And I'm going to put a link in there that uh, you can click in and you can enter into this this little contest and see if you can win this scholarship to be able to get into this program and they'll help you get started with your new podcast so yeah if you're considering to do this and believe me it's a lot of fun if you really have a passion for this this is a great thing and i i I bring this up mainly because through 100 episodes i have been having a lot of fun and as i mentioned when i was going through and selecting these clips uh, all the fun things I've realized I've gotten to do and all the people I've gotten to meet through doing this show has been wonderful. And knowing that you are out there and you're listening to this and that you're enjoying this and you keep coming back every week, I, I love that. Uh, I feel like I've got kind of a connection with, even though a lot of you I've never you know met or anything like that. It's really fun to know that you're there. And you know, I get to see where downloads come from around the world. Uh, it's very, very special, and I love making this show for you. And I hope I can continue, you know, go up to another another hundred episodes to two hundred episodes because I'm, like I said, I'm having a lot of fun doing this, and I love that you're listening and you're enjoying it. I'm hoping I'm making your day better every time you get to hear an episode of the Neverland Podcast. But if you're considering making a podcast yourself, like I said. Go to the link that's in the show notes. Uh, But let's go listen now to Season 2, and here are the rest of the way up to our 100th episode. All right, now our very special content for the week, we're going to go beyond Disney but still get a little bit of a Disney magic. I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's a great movie, but we're going to go back in the Neverland TARDIS now, and we're going to hear Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, the original cast of It's a Wonderful Life, doing a radio version of that show. It's going to be great. You're going to love this. Quickly, come on, let's get in the Neverland TARDIS and go. But they had, like, trading card-style images taken from the teaser, and it reveals the names of some of those characters we saw. Uh, the woman we saw riding the, uh, for, all, for all intents and purposes, it was like a speeder, her name is Ray, R-E-Y. Now, they say the numbers on the cards were significant. She was card number 74. Uh, there was also BB-8. That is the little droid we see on a, a ball, and a lot of people are calling it like a soccer ball. Uh, he is card number 11, or it is card number 11. Uh, and the interesting thing I have also found is that Mark Hamill has released some uh, in an interview talking about getting to play with the actual droid, because that is a practical effect and not a CGI effect. Now a Christmas and a bar humbug to you. <laughs> that boyfriend, always so full of forgiveness and, and love. Yes, he always was a little weird. I'll tell you how Christmas ought to be. Everybody ought to get up early. But not to see the presents neath the tree. If Christmas cheer they're looking for, a cup of tea's enough to pour. That's the way Christmas ought to be. 
I really like the Elf King. I know he's like kind of the jerk character in it, but like it resolves that very well. It does resolve that very well and kind of ties into his madness and like why he is the way that he is. And so yeah. that was nice to see. He's um, a jerk for a reason. However, <laughs> I really thought like you know I'm watching him with like the stag and the big antlers, and I'm like, oh yes, I want. <laughs> I mean, if, you know, if I could be in Middle Earth, like that's what I want. I want a yep. giant deer to ride um, around yeah. on. Everybody, imagine and, a very large deer with moose antlers. It was flipping awesome. It was awesome. The the ones that pop up a lot, you know, I, I, I knew about them when I was a kid. And so it was really a thrill as I'm starting to get to meet a lot of these voice actors, you know. And um, it's, it's really awesome. I'm, I'm really sad I never got to meet Christine, but she mm-hmm. sounds like a really amazing person. The first thing I ever wrote with Carrie, again, was uh, an episode of Gem and Holograms, one episode uh, oh. <clears throat> called Video Wars. And um, we wrote that together, and we're hoping it would lead to a whole bunch of cartoon work, and it really didn't. It led to nothing, actually. But um, uh, later, years later, I went to work for Disney TV Animation and ultimately uh, became an executive there um, and developed a bunch of shows, uh, which led me to develop Gargoyles, which led me to become a producer, um, and I actually became a producer first and a writer second on the show. Uh, now, Arrow, I missed out on, uh, as I said, I only watched like the first season. I did kind of catch, of course, when they crossed over with Flash, I had to watch that. And I did catch uh, quite a bit of uh, their mid-season finale. But uh, overall, so what sort of things have happened uh, with Arrow and what might we hope to see coming? Oh, are you ready for spoilers? Be careful, be just in case. But... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> there might be other people out there who maybe haven't watched Arrow, but maybe they've been watching The Flash and are like, geez, salmon ladders. <laughs> salmon ladders. Salmon That's the ladders. Two words for you. <laughs> These are the only two words you need to go watch this show. <laughs> Black Canary. Is that what you were going to say, Emily? No, that was yeah. definitely Felicity. Not. Oh, Felicity. That's two That's words. That's two words. Felicity. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the ripped apparel t-shirts today? No. There's a Felicity t-shirt there. Oh, fantastic. Until I was a bit older and bought a copy of the Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, the only version I had of Winnie the Pooh was the new Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. So I kind of got used to that and watching that all the time. Yeah, yeah. It was a good series. Yeah. Uh, some good stories. And really, you know, delving into like some iconic characters for Disney already with Winnie the Pooh. So I guess it was kind of a natural fit going into Tailspin. Suddenly now they've got, you know, characters from the Jungle Book and they have to have a new look and a new situation for them. Seems like you're a natural fit. Yeah. um, It was those standard characters along with a whole new world of of other characters. Mm -hmm. Um, It was fun to work on. Mm-hmm. And you also got to be in a movie with Christopher Walken. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, not only did I get to be in a movie, but I got to be edited out from a movie right next to to Christopher Walken. <laughs> Aladdin. Aladdin. What a great, great movie. To the late, great Rob Williams, we love you. We love you, brother. Too bad he's not the one who got to sing the love song in this. Though. No, but he did a lot of good songs himself. He did. You know, I do have an alternative version of this song that we're about to play that I should have probably pulled out. I'll pull it out sometime. It's you you would not expect. For anyone who knows who these people are, I have a copy of Mark Lowry. Well, it's a Mark Lowry concert, but he steps away. 
And Sandy Patty sings it with uh, huh? I for, with uh, I don't forget the guy's name. He's this tenor who used to sing with the Gaither Vocal Band. Huh. And they do a really nice rendition of this song. But we'll play their official Disney version right now. It's a whole new world from Aladdin. Wonderful. Now, many people have already heard that Howard the Duck is making a return to the comic books. It's been a while since he's been published in his own book. He's kind of normally just pops up here and there. We all know he exists, even if we don't see him published in any fashion for a long time. Well, because everybody's talking about him again, and after Guardians of the Galaxy, he had a really great cameo being voiced by Seth Green. Uh, this might be also a hopeful that you know he might be popping up again in some Guardians movies. Maybe Howard will get his own movie again that will be a lot better than the previous one. Although, when I was a kid, I liked the previous movie. It was, it was kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> you watch it later, you realize it's not a great movie, but it's still fun. As a kid, a great double feature was Howard the Duck and Little Shop of Horrors. There you go. With Mask, Mobile Armored Strike Command. Now, this this cartoon was obviously made just for the toys. Right. The toys are awesome. In fact, I'm holding my Thunderhawk right now while we're talking. Now, which one was Thunderhawk? Was that Thunderhawk is the, the Camaro, yeah, that, that you press a button and the wings pop up. The uh, spoiler pops up. It's got engines coming out the back. He's got a couple of bombs that release underneath it. It's Matt Tracker's Camario. <laughs> and it's awesome. Uh, we're going to do kind of just a tribute episode to Leonard Nimoy. I have some great audio to share related to that for his role as Mr. Spock that we all know him as. Disney filed for, filed for patent on the ride system on November 16th, 1995. The Imagineers reportedly asked Harrison Ford to reprise his role as Indiana Jones, but it is unknown whether or not Ford assisted in the making of the attraction. It doesn't seem like he did. His voice is not in there. Anything I've seen, there's a, uh, I'm going to share some audio later, where there was a special done on ABC for part of the Magical World of Disney. It was kind of a special, but you never get to see actually Indiana Jones from the front. It's always from his back. It's all in shadow, uh, and uh, I'm sure they've modeled the figure to kind of look like Harrison Ford a little bit, but it doesn't sound like he was really that involved. But anyways, the Temple of Forbidden Eye, of course, uh, premiered uh, on March 3rd, and this was, of course, the day before it was open to the public, but there were some invited celebrity guests were George Lucas and Michael Eisner, formerly, and of course, Disney CEO, Dan Aykroyd and Carrie Fisher. Uh, and to promote the opening of the attraction, the Disney Channel produced an hour-long TV program entitled Indiana Jones Adventure, featuring Karen Allen and John Rice davies reprising their roles from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, uh, Clark, Clark had a good one the last couple of weeks. He brought in a fart... Um, and Chloe played along, so whenever he, he pushed the button, and she would just be like, oh, oh my god, I'm so sorry, this is so embarrassing. How did you guys react, what were your emotions when you, like, watched the final movie? I was surprised that I had, I was forced to pay to, to get it. <laughs> Every, super, every superhero had had a, a bandolier or belt full of pouch oh. <laughs> and pouches on there, like you know the car the cargo pants era. Yeah, <laughs> yes. That way they weren't necessarily wearing tights. It's like, no, look, we have pockets and everything. Yeah. Well, it, it all started with a character called Longshot yeah. because the, the 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 artist said, "Well, if he's got all of this gear, where is he going to put it?" Exactly. And it were you know, pouches and, and pockets work with Batman, but it doesn't work with every superhero. Yeah. And in the in the in the mid nineties 
thanks to Rob Layfield. You saw it on just about every superhero. Yeah. I always liked how Spider-Man would sometimes you'd see him pull up the shirt half of its tights, which you didn't realize he could do, and he would have a like a Spidey belt underneath, and he had a like a signal light there as a buckle, but he could keep his web cartridges all in these pouches on this belt. Why did the seagulls fly over the sea? Because if they flew over the bay, they'd be bagels. Well, why do young pirates always fail when saying the alphabet in kindergarten? Aye, because their fathers insist they get seven C's. Aye, and there are seven C's. Arr, why is pirating addictive? Well, they say once you lose your first hand, you get hooked. <laughs> well, how do pirates know that they are pirates? Arr. They think, therefore they are. Ha, ha. Oh, but Captain, you said you don't think. You must not are. Mutiny. <laughs> it was no mutiny. mutiny. It was Pegleg Jones. Mutiny. <laughs> His character in the uh, characterization in the first film really was remarkable. It was so fun and quirky. I just was thrilled when I saw it in the theater. I know that guy. <laughs> and. Uh, 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 Later, no, about a year later, I auditioned for a commercial for Cherry Coke and got that and played a greaser which in this uh, Cherry Coke commercial that was based on Back to the Future. You can see it on, on uh, YouTube, I think, and Victoria Jackson is the roller skating waitress or whatever. Anyway, um, so it was kind of ironic, you know, having this little connection there and then to get the role. Uh, but at this, on the other hand, it was odd because uh, obviously something was not right. Uh, because he wasn't returning, so I figured he had another bigger project that you know was more important to him, and that they needed to fill his shoes. Now, originally, in the script, Back to the Future two and three was one script, Paradox, mm-hmm. and in Part three, the role of Seamus was to be played by Crispin. So, what in, what inspired you to um, to make a, a He Man film? Uh, he Man has always been. Um, an obsession with me. It's, uh, I've loved the toys and the cartoon and everything since I can remember, since I can remember seeing my first episode when I was about three. And, uh, I've always just enjoyed the, um, the characters and the stories and the, the entire property. And, they're the only thing, the only toys that I've kept from my childhood are all the uh, Masters of the Universe things. Hi, my name is Beth Chalk, and I'm the creator of the Jim Henson's Labyrinth, the movie uh, uh, playset on uh, Lego Ideas. Um, I'm a stay-at-home wife now. I used to be an engineer, but um, I've been spending most of my time working on artistic interests and Lego Ideas, uh, creating Lego sets is part of that. you you got a song here that's from... Uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. I don't quite understand why that is. Well, I wanted to scare everybody. I, I, I had to have a goth band come in, right? Yes. Sure. I, I mean, I see I've got no strings on here. Yes. But I'm going from Pinocchio, so hopefully it'll oh, be a lot okay. happier. That version, so. yes. So when you were doing these auditions, was uh, Huey Lewis sitting next to you by chance? <laughs> Yeah, he had a bullhorn, and uh, yeah, it was not good. Kept saying everyone was too darn loud. Yeah, I can't help it. It's, we can play it loud in Neverland, okay? You know, we're on an island. Who are we going to disturb? Pirates? 
Some of them were already disturbed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but also going upon Pinocchio, this this could just take the whole thing, too. When you wish upon a star. That, I mean, let, let's face it. That is one of those, the epitome of Disney. Everyone was going to think of that song. Because Walt had, you know, such a a light and lighthearted and humorous view of the Uncle Remus stories and so positive, he wanted a movie that depicted that positive feel. And so you have, you know, from the very start of it, here is a little boy, little white boy Johnny, who meets his, his you know, little, uh, I don't remember what the other little boy's name was, you know, a little colored boy, and they just become fast friends and they're hanging out together and they go stare at a grandfather clock and watch it chime and stuff. And it's like, you know what? No one is making any sort of a deal or issue of anyone being a different color. They just see, look, it's another person. And, oh, we're so excited to see Uncle Remus. I remember when he used to tell me stories and, oh, I want to meet Uncle Remus and hear his stories. No one cares what color they are. I'm so sorry I'm late. I took a 10 minute break to have some Kansas City barbecue. I got the email from Kirk with the panel list of who's, who's going to moderate which panel. Oh, cool. I can see it now. Oh, crap. I got to do sit ups. <laughs> the workout that you have on the show, I mean, yeah. that, that's got to be pretty grueling. It's pretty grueling. I mean, it's, it's like uh, if Oliver has to know how to speak Russian or if Oliver has to know how to shoot a bow and arrow, like all of these things are things that we build into the infrastructure of the show. And the fitness is something that we build into the infrastructure of the show. Um, you know, I get scheduled workouts every week. There's also appears to be no consequences for any of your actions. Uh, the the main characters basically they steal a car, and I'm like, wait, nobody reports the car stolen because the guy clearly saw you got you two, uh, and nobody, but he didn't report his truck stolen because your truck could be obviously stand out. It's got busted glass. It's all you know. It's banged up. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it, there's if you if you actually start thinking during the movie, you're lost. Don't don't try not to think. I guess when the first time I watch it, think about it later, and then you can determine whether or not you'll actually buy this when it comes out. Because I mean, like I said, it is a lot of fun, but there's so many problems with it, and. Um you you kind of care about the characters, but the the most cute story is kind of a sad little story because uh, Frank, played by George Clooney, they, they show him as a boy, and he creates a friendship and has kind of a crush on Athena, not knowing Athena is not human; she's a, a, an android or a robot, whatever, or an audio animatronic, as she refers to herself, which is cute that they did that. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll beat you both together. I'll fight you both apart. Is that right? Is that yep. Right? Yes. Thank you. I know someone will always correct me. Then Andre has the next line. He says, um, I guess not very long. Like that, right? 
Well, he didn't get to the word long when he let out what has to be the most monumental fart. <laughs> I, I, I kid you not, I'm serious. I mean, look, folks, we've all experienced what we've accused people of giant farts, I'm sure. <laughs> this was a giant's fart. Remember the scene in the movie where, um, where Andre says, Everybody move, right? You remember that moment? Yeah. And then, then Rob Reiner cuts all of the folks in the village and they all look in shock when they hear him scream. That was the exact reaction of the entire cast and crew. And Andre let out this far. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you guys, it, it was 15 seconds long. Oh my goodness. It's a long time. It's a long time. Don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> It, the sonic resonance of it was so monumental <laughs> that I looked over at the sound guy and he, he lifted the headphones up. Like oh my god! And then I looked up at Andre and he had steam coming out of the top of his head. I don't know why to this day, but the combination of this this fart that could be heard in Beijing and everyone was covering covering the rear and the steam coming out of his head. I just couldn't look at him anymore. I just had to look away. I just was like that. And, uh, and you know what's so great is that in, in America when someone farts, people, you guys call it, you're like, come on, really, dude, you know? But in England when someone farts, everyone sort of becomes very weird about it. They're all like, oh, looks like, looks like rain. <laughs> <laughs> looks like over there. Very weird and strange, but it's wonderful. And, but in this instance, it was so mammoth, it could be heard like three counties over. When he was done, there was like, you could hear a pin drop. It was just silence. And the whole crew went just dead silent. And Rob Reiner, the director, broke the silence and he goes, Hey, Andre, you okay? The way they did the projections on the buildings where you can see the chimney sweeps do the step in time dance from Mary Poppins. Uh, where you see the lanterns from uh, from Tangled, uh, just amazing. Honestly, I was spent spent more time looking at the projections on the buildings <laughs> than I did the fireworks themselves. Yeah, I saw some video of that, and I told Heather, "So I don't know if I'd want to be watching the projections or the fireworks. I'd be you just caught in the middle, just like, oh my gosh, look at this! But oh my gosh, look at that! You you need to see it three or four different times from different angles to appreciate everything." Yeah, because I, I hear the Matterhorn gets turned in, turn into Mount Punahakalugi. That's what I hear. I couldn't see it from my vantage point. Uh, I didn't see the Matterhorn, so I didn't experience that part. Uh, there's projections on Small World that I missed because I was nowhere near there. I could barely see Nemo flying in front of the castle. Uh, Tinkerbell and Nemo both fly in this show. But first I feel that we ought to congratulate Mr. Disney. You see, he won another Academy Award last week for his picture, The Country Cousin. Now, that's quite an honor, Donald. <laughs> Besides, Donald, I want to whisper something to you. And this is very confidential. <laughs> you know, your boss, Mr. Walt Disney, is really a wonderful artist. He's brought so much joy and beauty into the world through his creations. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Donald. You've become a friend of everyone, too. Children and grown-ups. You've got a brand new book, and I've already read it. I, I ordered a copy, and uh, it didn't take me too long to read. I just sped through it. But you and Will Ryan got together and wrote a book called Adventures in Oddity. 
Yes, we did. As he'll say, it was five years in the making. But once we finally decided, hey, let's get this out, it was came fast and furious. It was fun. So it was kind of his idea to write this. Well, actually, you know, you see the picture on the cover of Adventures in Oddity. Uh-huh. I came across a picture about eight years ago, and we actually took that photo about thirty years ago before we were ever on Adventures in Odyssey. I asked him to pose with me for some commercial. Uh, headshots, photos, and we took that picture, and I found it, like I said, maybe eight years ago, maybe, and and, and I called him up. I said, Will, we look like Connie and Eugene in this picture. <laughs> I, I I was so, I, could, I was amazed when I saw it. I said, we got to send this to Focus, and he said, Focus on the family. He said, no, save it for our book. I said, okay, what book? He goes, we're going to write one. I said, all right. <laughs> Somehow or another, I missed this. There was a vote for Disney Infinity 3.0 to have either an Olaf playable figure or Darkwing Duck. Now, had I known, I would have been on here and telling you all Darkwing Duck. Everybody, quick, vote for Darkwing Duck. But I didn't know, and so we weren't able to act. And the Frozen Fanatics came out in droves, and Olaf has been chosen for Disney Infinity 3.0. Wow. What the uh, the animatronics themselves, but not necessarily the outer appearance of them, I guess, was moved. That, that's correct. They, they were stripped of their um, costumes, and just the um, skeletons are used. So there are actually naked characters from America Sings over at Star Tours. Yeah, the G two droids. <laughs> just look at their feet; you can see that they're wet. Yep. Well, now that's, that's interesting. That's what G2 stands for, is is they were formerly the geese. Huh. Fascinating. All the now, interesting this, things. This, now, now, this might be a sad one for Paul, because I'm sure, like me, Paul loves Big Al. But I know that the animatronic for Big Al has been repurposed uh, and is used in the Haunted Mansion Holiday. Do you know what uh, character he is now? Oogie Boogie? Yep, Oogie Boogie. Tron ride. It's like a roller coaster, but you're riding on a light cycle. I mean, so many fun things. I mean, a Tarzan, uh, and of course, a big Frozen show, a big sing-along coming. It was kind of bizarre. The late 70s, early 80s, you had uh, Hanna-Barbera making uh, cartoons of Batman and Superman, but you also had Filmation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Superman. And so you had two different things, and the, the same kind of thing happened with Marvel, where they were having different companies making it, you know. So you have a lot of great com- cartoons, like you know, Spider-Man, his Amazing Friends, and all that. Love it. And uh, yeah, that's where I was, where I first saw Iceman. Yep. And all that. And of course, Firestar. Firestar. That's that was the beginning from. of Firestar. Yeah. yeah. Repulsive Lobster has joined the fight. Awesome. So awesome. we're both sing together now, mm-hmm. and now we have to sing to our power activator. So aim at me. Don't blast me. I can't see my laser. Is that? He was an animator. He was a cartoonist. He was a movie maker. Obviously a theme park operator. He was also an ambulance driver, a failed businessman. You know, he was involved in a lot of different ventures. And the argument that I really try to make is. If you take a look at his life and look backwards, particularly in relationship to his father and the way in which his father had worked 
at the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, it, it seems pretty obvious that Walt at some point was going to build a place like Disneyland. But that doesn't happen until he's 53, 54 years of age. And again, it's only obvious looking back. And we see that in a lot of people's lives. Steve Jobs in a famous commencement speech talks about connecting the dots, but only connecting them backwards. And so you know, my encouragement to the reader is to, again, keep moving forward and trusting that what you're doing today is going to take you to what you're supposed to be doing tomorrow. So I took my favorite completed, drawn, lettered scenes from all those books and sent it out to editors. I said, hey, I got all these books coming out in the near future. Um, take a look. And I heard almost nothing, basically crickets, for 13 months. Ooh. And then an editor at Marvel happened to flip through my packet and read some of the stuff and gave me an opportunity. Uh, Alejandro Arbona, he's not at Marvel anymore, but he gave me a shot on a Legion of Monsters miniseries in 2011. Wow. And while I was working on that, uh, somebody quit X-Men Season 1. I'm not even sure who the original writer was, but they needed a writer right then, and I said I wanted more work. So, um, yeah, so my first two books were X-Men Season 1 and Legion of Monsters, and they did pretty well. Um, the Season 1 books were successful, so they gave me another shot and another shot and another shot. And, yeah, now it's my full-time job. As long as it sells, yeah. For me, they wanted him to be a farmer, a West Country, West Country farmer. It's not my scam genes. He's from, you know, what do they call it? Like, uh, it's sort of Welsh almost. And they, they played this, this hook for me, this one sentence that whenever we were shooting, I would say the sentence before we do the tape, and it would put me back in the dialect of the character. And it was a recording from an actual farmer saying, that's a nice shiny apple. Star Toy, but sadly, Walt passed away about five months after the dedication. So even though it was a passion project of Walt and Roy, he couldn't really see it through and financially support it. So Disney backed away from all of Walt's um, auxiliary projects. Roy went off to build Disney World, which is exactly what he should have done because that was a really important thing to give to us. Yeah. And Marceline just uh, lived in, uh, Midget Autopia lived in Marceline um, and was very popular. But the small town of Marceline literally couldn't afford the overhead and the maintenance to, to keep that ride going. And, and it, uh, it shut down in 1977, which is incredibly sad. But thankfully, they kept the cars because I, I love seeing that in the museum there. Uh, as 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 somebody would walk into the museum and you you go to the table and you you buy your ticket there. But right over to your right, there there is one of the cars just right there in like pristine condition, and there's photos from kids riding on it and from the dedication. But there's a camera in the back back of the the, the shop, and me and Roger and that's a ghost and action. So we. Oh, she's awesome. And she plays Disney tunes on the bagpipes. But is, she's so awesome. So, so awesome. Playing the Mickey Mouse song and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, 
Uh, I, I don't remember the lady's name, but she's there every time. And the guy who always calls the parade is like, and here's da-da-da-da. And her goat. Yes. Got her goat pulling a cart behind it with a little kid in it, as usual. Yes. Uh, so always there with a goat. Uh, of course, there's a group that has you know horses, and they have their nice show horses mm-hmm. they come out with. Um, the Shriners show up? Uh, no, the stuff. Shriners weren't there this oh, year. Oh, okay. Uh, but they did have, of course, they have the typical boat full of little boys dressed as pirates. Pirates, yep. And the princess tea parties, you know, with all yep. the little girls. The little all, girls this has been princess. made up earlier, in which they have the makeup thing going all day. Mm-hmm. But And, of course, they have, like... Miss Marceline, Miss Teen Marceline, and all that all type the, of thing. Yep. And and pageants you don't really hear much about, like Miss Outdoors Missouri and things mm-hmm. like that. Well, and, and a, a great thing about... <laughs> having a show where we talk about the flash and having a series of the flash is that the character itself, even in the comics has just this rich history of, of a variety of villains, um, really interesting, creative villains, you know, and sometimes people you would, you would never expect. I mean, like the trickster, you know, yeah. um, and, and, uh, uh, this rogues gallery. So they have so many different characters that are really Flash specific, whereas you got your, you know, Agents of Shield and 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 even Arrow, where they're pulling villains from other uh, franchises and other characters in the in the universes in the comic universes. Uh, so that was kind of neat. It kind of mixed things up, and so I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. And I am hopeful to see when, it, the, although the game is released in November, and it will be before the Force Awakens comes out. But you know, a few updates, a few you know extra downloads, and we might see some environments from the Force Awakens, other than just like we already know Jakku is going to be a playable planet, right? But maybe there'll be some other planets that will be added in, and maybe maybe they'll have some downloadable extra heroes. Maybe you'll be able to play as Kylo Ren, you know, stuff like that. When you first, well, I see. I saw Back to the Future two in the theater. Did you guys see that one in the theater at least? Home release, release. and you too, Eric. The same here. Again, every time I saw a Back to the Future movie, okay. it was home video. So you guys had already heard that there was going to be a third one before you saw the second one, probably, right? I saw two and three oh, yeah. on, the same, on the same night. Okay. Well, for me, oh, and wow. I, I, might, I think I already maybe maybe have mentioned this, but yeah, to to have that cliffhanger ending, uh, and then suddenly a big trailer for Back to the Future Three, I remember completely floored me. The thing is, is although I did see the first two movies in the theater, the third one I didn't see later until it'd been on on video for probably a year. All right, number three would have to be Mother Gothel. That's a good one. That is a good one. Is she the one that keeps you up at night? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah, you know. But then knowing that she fell out a window, which is also gruesome, but great. To Disney and beyond. All right, Neverlanders, this is going to be an epic conversation, I can tell you right now. Uh, some of my favorite movies are the area in which this, our next guest, has worked in. We'll just put it like that. <laughs> but we'll just start from the very beginning, and we'll just introduce everybody to Mike Quinn. Hello, Mike Quinn. Well, hello. Thank you, Jeremy, and everybody, and all the Neverlanders out there. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. 
I mean, I know that, that, that they struck a two-picture deal with Lou Grade for the Dark Crystal and the Great Muppet came, but Jim wanted to make the Dark Crystal. Lou Grade wanted to make the second Muppet film. So uh, they struck up a deal, and, and it ended up being a, a back-to-back picture deal with the same uh, company and the same, pretty well the same crew and everything, too. So it was kind of cool. You know, we rolled straight from the Muppet caper into uh, uh, Dark Crystal, and we're doing film S uh, at the end of shooting for, for Dark Crystal. So it was really neat. It was a, a lovely time, very creative, golden era, really. Yeah, and I well, I remember when I first saw. Uh, I was very young when the Dark Crystal first came out. I remember when I was first seeing the trailers; it scared me to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people say that it's quite funny, but I guess I guess it makes sense. I don't, you know, think of it as as a scary film, but um, I, with it being so kind of real and dark, and and um, uh, I guess it had that sort of gravity to it that I could certainly see. You know how it could be really kind of creepy and, and strange to a, a young a young kid. Yeah, and it was the first thing like that. Yeah, yeah, the, the whole environment, every the lighting, everything, and that it was the first uh, you know all puppet <coughs> excuse me all puppet creature film uh, ever really, and it was even before ET of course. Yeah. So um, you know all we'd had that was even close to that would have been Yoda and Empire Strikes Back. Um, and and of course the rest of that had uh, you know he was with humans anyway yeah. Luke and, and what have you so um, so yeah it was it, it was a new thing for everyone to get their heads around so I could I could certainly see that but mm-hmm. it's nice that films like that and even Labyrinth now I guess once they reach that sort of big thirty year uh, status um, they seem to become almost like cult films now and yeah. you know, have a cult pop I should say which is uh, surprising but it's it's actually really cool you know everyone worked so hard on these movies and and you at the time you don't think okay what are people going to be thinking of these in 30 35 years time no one can really people don't think that far ahead when they're making a movie i seriously doubt jim was thinking you know oh people are going to revere these movies you know three four decades on i don't think he was i seriously doubt he was thinking about that Yeah, definitely. I think it's the scariness of the Skeksis that that pulled me in, though, as well, because you had this epic journey of Jin to defeat the Skeksis, and so I really got behind it because, like, I you know, I completely understood the Skeksis as being these evil, tyrannical creatures that yeah. I didn't know how it was going to end up in the end, but following Jen's journey to uh, defeat them and save uh, the, their their world from the Skeksis, I could definitely get into, cause, because they were scary, and especially the Gartham. <laughs> the Gartham were frightening as anything, so... Well, they were scary to us, too. I mean, yeah, when we were... I mean, those things were dangerous. Uh, mm-hmm. Those blades they had on the claws, you know, we'd be down in the... Uh, the sets were raised, like, you know, three and a half, four feet off the ground. So when we were doing the things like the Poddling Village... Um, you know, we'd be under there with our poddings on our arms and the, and the Gartham were breaking through the walls and chasing them through the fields outside and stuff. And, you know, we had to wear uh, uh, hard hats uh, because we might get clipped with these things. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, I know one could have fallen over into the hole with us. And <clears throat> so it was kind of dangerous, really. It was, it was kind of scary for us uh, with all the breakaway walls and things that they had. So, yeah, the hazards of, of being on a set, definitely... And the Podlings were definitely some of the more lovable characters. They always, uh, especially in the scene where they're having their, their dinner and their little party and dancing. I don't know <laughs> why, but it reminds me of something out of Fiddler on the Roof. And Aww, so I always yeah. related the Podlings to being, you know, like the, the Jewish people living in Russia at the time where there's that oppression, but they're just happy and, you know, having a rough life of being happy and positive about it. I just, that's why I yeah. love the Podlings. 
Yeah, that's uh, sort of the underdog in a way, and mm-hmm. you know they don't they didn't have uh, didn't have a lot, but they kind of were. Well, they're also more earthy, very earthy uh, yeah. characters. So you know they're they're, they're they're much more in tune with with nature, um, and that that was something that was very specific. All their, their instruments were made out of gourds and and that kind of thing. Their, all their clothes were very much. Uh, uh, natural silks and earth tones, like they they've been dyed with berries and all that. So it was, yeah, it's a, a neat little little thing. We we built um, fifty, I think, it was about fifty potlings altogether. Some were uh, some had had blinks in them. Some some had like little hand clappers and and uh, a, a few. <clears throat> there were a few, a couple of marionettes that were built, um, but the rest were all just regular. Uh, foam cast foam hand puppets and so i was one of the the, the guys that constructed those uh and the, and the slaves as well there were about 50 slaves so there are 100 of each uh, i mean 100 in total i think and uh <laughs> i was working under uh, bobby Payne, who was one of the original moppet builder guys uh he, he in fact worked uh, on the salmon friends with jim hansen i think he even went to school with uh, jim hansen wow so so he was heading up the podlings and slaves and brought me in to uh, help construct these guys. So it was a lot of work, but uh, we ended up giving each one a name. Somewhere there's a list somewhere of all, of all the names that these guys had. <laughs> like I remember one was called Bertha D Nation and, you know, crazy stuff like that. <laughs> and in a strange sense of irony, you were actually the slave master Skeksis. <laughs> Indeed, yes, which was total typecasting. Um, yeah, it, it didn't used to get such a juggle. He'd see me sort of in this. I was, I was, you know, well, I had my 17th birthday on the set on Dark Crystal, so I was around 16, 17, and he'd be directing me, and I'd peek out from this evil character, you know, and there'd just be this young kid looking out, and he just thought it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, quite a juxtaposition to have the young yeah, face out of this, these hideous vulture like monsters. Absolutely, yeah. He was great, though. He, he loved all that stuff. Oh, and so. the the challenge though of playing those characters because all you had was a monitor to kind of that you could see what the camera was showing, and you'd have to try to figure out where you were from the camera positioning of the little monitor. Yeah, you had. yeah, and it was very hard. I mean, you know, the monitor generated heat too. The I had one of the lighter costumes. I think mine was something like seventy something pounds. Uh, some of the other characters were a lot heavier. Um, so, so we couldn't really see out of the costume as such, not really. So, so you could, you could look at the monitor, the one little, um, six inch, uh, black and white tube monitor, uh, thingy. And, um, but of course when the camera turned over, the technology was, nothing was digital back then. So as the, as the prism flickered through the, the lens, once the camera turned over, the image degraded quite a lot. So you sort of had this flickery ghosty image of what you were performing to. And that was it, you know. Um, so you had to remember that when you were performing, while it's this little tiny blurry thing on a screen, you're fighting to see where you are and what you're doing. When you look at dailies the next day uh, on the big screen, you know, everything's the size of uh, trees and a forest and it's huge, you know, so you had to scale down your performance a whole lot, uh, on set and then sort of compensate for that. Um, which was really interesting. But also, you know, if they're shooting multiple cameras, we only saw, the, you know, whatever camera feed we, I guess, you know, we felt was relevant. So it, it was quite a plus. We'd be walking around, hopping over cables and, and uh, jumping on boxes. And I, I was, I think, the only performer who actually did some shots uh, on my knees walking 
um, they had, you know, little people in other rigs for when you see them full length walking around or running, and they were duplicate costumes. Um, but I actually did some shots on my knees, which was the correct height for the Skeksis. Um, and I'm, I think that I'm the only person who actually did that. So it worked quite well, but of course it's incredibly painful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and might explain why my knees aren't working any longer, but it was, it was, it was worth it, you know, the movie and, um, yeah. My goodness. Now, did they, uh, with each shot, did they have to limit the time that you were actually inside the full costume? For the, the they, heat and stuff like that. Yeah, they yeah they they were very good about giving us fans and water and and when we had major uh, setup breaks, um, they would get us out. It, it got we got pretty good at getting in and out of those things. It would take about two people to to dress us though and lift lift them onto us and feed the the cables on the head down onto us and strap us in because once you were your arm was locked in there, <clears throat> uh, that was it. You know you were stuck basically. So uh, the longest I was in there was about four hours. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Well, I, mean, was, I think the shot when we're looking up at the the crystal and seeing the crystal bat reflected in there, <clears throat> um, looking at, for Jen and Kira, it was that whole scene. Um, yeah, that was the longest though. But by that time, we were kind of used to it. You know, the very first scene we ever shot was the first time you see them in the movie going into the crystal, uh, into the into the uh, bedroom, the uh, dying emperor's bedroom. And we were all in agony after that. It's like, oh no, what are we done? We, you know, we tried to rehearse and everything, but there's nothing like being on set and trying to pull it all together and, and uh, you know, shooting for for days on end. So uh, we were, we, they had a massive scene, which helped. But, but I think after that, our, you know, our bodies kind of learned. Well, speaking of anyway, it, it sort of learned what it needed to do and how to how to be more e- economical with with the. Uh, uh, with all the muscles and, and, and all that kind of thing. So it got a lot easier after a while. But, uh, yeah, it was still still uh, not an easy feat at all. <laughs> <laughs> but worth it in the end. I used to, uh, yeah. when I was home on summer vacation from school, that was uh, almost religiously, I had to watch The Dark Crystal almost every day. Wow. For years. I watched the That's Dickens great. out of that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was no Dickens left in there, I noticed. So you were the one that took it. <laughs> Apparently I was. Come back with our Dickens. Stop that man. <laughs> uh, and even so much that uh, I remember when I found online that I could purchase a copy of the soundtrack, they did They did a limited release. That's uh, right. They did. Who knows? Extra music. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, <clears> they, Trevor they Jones. Had the original Trevor Jones scoring, and then they had where they lifted it directly from the film. You can tell on mm. the second disc. It even had some unreleased music from a funeral scene that was cut. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah, Trevor was great. Yeah, he, we worked quite closely with him on things like the uh, the pod dance, you know. I did yeah. some of the drumming work on that. So in the wide shot, uh, when you see the drama, it's me doing doing the drama and the drumsticks. And then when, when they go into the close-up, Jim was doing the head, and Dave Gulls was doing the two sticks. Huh. So it switches back and forth, but in the in the wider shots, it, it's me doing the drama myself. We had to learn each each drum beat. So he gave us a, a, a cassette back in those days. We had these things called cassettes, and on the left tra- left channel would be the uh, the music track, and on the right channel would be a count. So he so we, we'd know where we were in the count on the track as we were learning. So you know, it'd be one, two, three, four, two, two, three, that kind of thing. So and we had music uh, charts as well for those that. that could use that so we actually learned every every musical piece uh thanks to to trevor so wow thank you for listening to the neverland podcast we invite you back next week for more fun and adventure 
Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander. Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash Neverland Podcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Yeah! <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 